Well, here we go again. Fall. Apple pie, football games, new textbooks, and, and the last of the summer barbecues in the backyard. My work doesn't change much between the seasons. I, I haven't been a student in decades. But I watch my daughter go back to school, and, and I still feel like I'm right there, getting on the bus, hoping I wore the right thing, nervous, and thinking, hoping that, that something new is coming, grateful for the opportunity to, to start again, to try on a, a new version of myself. September seems to promise that every year. Of course I can't wait to go back to school. Three months of social prison is more than enough for me, thank you. I mean, I like my family. I love them, okay? And we did some fun things this year. But I am so ready to see my friends again. I mean, I haven't talked to a lot of them since, what, June? Even my good friends. We texted, but Jordan got a job, Josh went to summer camp, and Shanti's entire family went somewhere really far away. My family, well, we went to Maine for about a week. I kept worrying that what if I got back and they'd sort of forgotten about me, or they'd gotten really close over the summer and I was stuck on the outside. But by October, all the new shoes are dirty, our pace is frantic, our weekends are double booked, and all I want to do is get to next summer. <laughs> it, it, turns out we, we're not the new people we, we thought. We're just the same people who goofed off in July and August and, and ate too much ice cream and took naps by the lake. This year is going to be so stressful. Junior year, so time to make your college applications look amazing or you die. <laughs> Let's see, homework is gonna kill me. I've got SAT prep, my mom signed me up for some sort of math tutoring thing, which is whatever, so long as it doesn't get in the way of the fall musical, which is the one thing I'm actually excited for. And also youth group starts up again, but I feel like that's separate from everything else I do. My Church friends don't really hang out with my school friends. Keeping everything and, and everyone going gets exhausting. It feels kind of futile. I was talking to my, my brother-in-law about this, and you know, he just didn't get it. And I felt kind of foolish because, well, for he and his wife, every, they just seem to coast. Everything for them just seems to click. And they're always uh, doing or buying something new. I know this isn't the, the life that Jesus taught, the rushing, the, the next thing, the feeling like you're always a step behind or a degree off course. We have our, our good moments and even our good days. But I feel like, to be honest, I'm, I'm letting my, my family down by, by not knowing how to get us out of this, this cycle of trying to to thriving and living. My dad keeps on going on about how this year is going to be our best year yet, or something. But what if my best year isn't what mom and dad expect? And I feel like I'm stuck trying to keep everyone else happy. I'm not actually certain that I know what my best year would be. My daughter, Leah, she's such a great kid. 
but it's hard to watch that teenage stuff play out. To see how much she cares about what other people think, her friends, boys, her teachers and coaches. Before she's, she's off to college, I, I want to see her grounded in her faith. But I can't make that happen. How much effort do I spend try, trying to force the life that I want for us all? I don't even know if the result is good. It never feels like enough. We've, we've always got our sights set on the, the next season, assuming that, that we'll get it right someday. But what does that look like? What would it look like if we were to, to thrive here, now? Well, so here we are at the beginning of a new season, new year, school, work, home, church. No matter what age or stage of life you're at, I've got to believe you're wrestling with some of the same questions and thoughts and feelings that were raised by this father and daughter. And on the one hand, we're grateful for a fresh start, a chance to try on a new version of ourselves, as that father put it. But who says this year will be any different than last year? Will it be better? Will we be better? What would our best year look like anyway? This time of year, we resort to kickoff language. Kickoff banquet, kickoff dinner, kickoff brunch, getting things started. We're thinking, of course, about those opening moments of a football game when the teams are all lined up on the field, fans all on their feet, the ball teed up, the kicker making his approach. It's a moment full of possibility. Anything can happen in the moments that follow. Everyone's in contention. We could go all the way. Even with Jimmy Garoppolo taking snaps. <laughs> so it's a time of hope. At the same time, most of us have done this drill enough times to know that Every year can't be your best year. There's no way of knowing what surprises or challenges are waiting for us in the year to come. But still, our hope, our expectations is that it'll be a good year. It'll be a productive year. It'll be a, a satisfying year. And that's the vision behind our opening teaching series for the year, Thrive. To thrive is to prosper, to flourish, to grow or develop successfully. When a plant thrives, it grows a little bit larger every year. Its roots go down deeper, its branches spread wider, its leaves soak up the sun, and it produces baskets of fruit. When a business thrives, it delivers a good product or service. It makes money for its investors. It provides a living for its employees. It contributes to the local economy. But what does it look like for a human being to thrive? Our bumper video reminds us that our lives are full, busy, active. We're always on the go. But are we getting anywhere? The days are full, but are we satisfied? Are we thriving or just surviving? 
And more importantly, what does it mean for a Christian to thrive, for a church to thrive? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we becoming the people in the church that God would have us to be? Those are the questions we'd like to go after this fall as we begin our new church year. So welcome to Vision Sunday at Grace Chapel. It's good to have you here. Good to have you back if you've been away. Good to have you here if you're a newcomer. Good to have you if you've never went anywhere and you're just always here. We're glad you're here. <laughs> Whether you're here on one of our campuses or you're watching online, we're just glad you're with us. Turns out this is uh, my 17th Vision Sunday at Grace Chapel. So uh, that's, uh, yeah, I feel good about that. It actually is a bit of a milestone for us because it means that uh, for Karen and me, this is longer than we've ever been anywhere in our whole lives. So that means we're in uncharted territory. I have no idea what the 17th year at a church looks like. So it's a real adventure. And who knows, could be our best year yet. Now, if you've been around uh, Grace for any length of time at all, you know that every year we declare a theme for the year. Some way of bringing focus and alignment to our teaching and our ministries. Last year, our theme was rediscovering Jesus. This year, 2016-17, our theme is rooted, growing, and bearing fruit. Rooted, growing, and bearing fruit. Now, that'll make more sense as we make our way along this morning and in the weeks to come. But it's a vision that unfolds from the book we're going to be studying this fall, a book of the Bible known as Colossians. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to spend a couple of weeks in each chapter, four chapters, and discover what it looks like for Christians, human beings, churches to thrive. So let's get started, the opening verses of Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people and Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So right off the bat, we learn that this is a letter written from the Apostle Paul and his protege, his partner in ministry, Timothy. What we're not told right here is that he's writing as a prisoner, either in jail or under house arrest, probably in Rome, maybe in Ephesus. He's awaiting trial to find out what his fate will be. But in the meantime, he's able to carry on some ministry by receiving visitors and writing letters. So he's writing to a relatively new church in a city called Colossae in what we would now call Turkey. Now, what makes this letter so interesting is that Paul has never been to Colossae. He doesn't know any of these people. The church was actually founded by an associate of his named Epaphras. So why is Paul writing a letter to a group of people he's never even met? Well, it seems as though Epaphras has come to visit Paul, and he's brought a report about the church back in Colossae. And that report is at once so, so encouraging and so disturbing that Paul immediately sits down and sends a letter to them. Just to kind of get a feel for it, let's imagine for a moment some famous preacher or pastor, uh, Beth Moore or uh, Bill Hybels, Andy Stanley, T.D. Jakes, someone like that, someone with a national, international reputation. Let's say they get a report about what's happening at Grace Chapel in Greater Boston. And what they hear in that report gets them so excited and so concerned that they right away sit down, a let, right, sit down and write a letter to us. 
offering us encouragement and challenge. We'd be very curious to see what they had to say to us. That's the spirit behind this letter that Paul is writing to this church he's never met. So let's see what he has to say. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So if you'll notice, Paul begins his letter with a prayer of thanksgiving because this church in Colossae has gotten off to a great start. Now, the church is probably a few years old at this point, three, four, five years old, uh, not unlike our campuses in Wilmington and Watertown and East Lexington, just kind of getting going. But already in these early years, good things are happening. First, Paul celebrates their vibrant faith. He says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So apparently these believers are so excited about their faith, so eager to to become more and more like Christ, that news about them has spread all over the empire. Vibrant faith. Secondly, he celebrates their genuine love for one another. We have heard of the love you have for all God's people. Imagine these people praying for each other, caring for each other, serving each other with such enthusiasm and commitment that news has reached Paul in in, in Ephesus or Rome in prison. Genuine love. So Paul affirms these two things, faith and love. And then there's one more thing he mentions, verse 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. The third thing Paul affirms about this church is their effective outreach. He talks about bearing fruit, about the gospel growing and increasing among you. In other words, because of their vibrant faith and their genuine love, they were having an impact on the world around them. Lives are being changed. Needs are being met. Communities and cities are being transformed. And their church, their community is growing larger and larger as more and more people come to faith. So Paul finds plenty to celebrate in this new young church. Vibrant faith, genuine love, and effective outreach. Now again, if you've been around Grace for a while, those three things should sound familiar to you. Because we talk a lot here at Grace about going deeper, getting closer, and reaching wider. We call them our three core commitments. Our gospel-centered model for ministry. And we use this little diagram to illustrate it. Going deeper is all about spiritual formation, becoming more and more like Christ through prayer and worship and Bible study and holiness of life and spiritual disciplines, vibrant faith. Getting closer is all about authentic community. It's about caring for each other, serving each other, confessing our sins to one another, being honest with each other. In other words, genuine love. And then reaching wider is all about missional living. It's about having an impact on the world around us, sharing our faith, doing justice, showing mercy, being about the work of God in the world, sharing our faith. In other words, effective outreach. So all this to say, what I'm trying to get at here is if Beth Moore and Andy Stanley or T.D. Jakes were to write us a letter about what's happening at Grace Chapel, I think they would have a lot to celebrate. I think they would celebrate vibrant faith and genuine love and effective outreach. Because I see these things happening in the life of our church on all of our campuses on a regular basis. So a good church, I think, 
Even the Apostle Paul would find much to affirm here at Grace Chapel. But I think he would also want something more for us. He would want God to be doing more among us, through us, in us, than is already happening. Just as he did for this church in Colossae. He would want to see us thriving as human beings and as Christians and as a community of faith. And in the next eight weeks, Paul will lay out for us eight characteristics of thriving people. And we'll consider them one at a time. And so the first one this week shows up in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Notice the thriving language Paul uses. We ask God to fill you live a worthy life, bear fruit, growing. All this suggests he wants something more for these believers. He wants abundance. He wants increase. He wants overflow. He wants so many good stuff, so much good thing to be happening that it comes tumbling out of these people, just like these apples tumbling out of the baskets in front of me. Yes, they're real. Please don't come eat them <laughs> until we're done with the series, okay? He wants more. And the first things he wants to see more of, the first thing he asks for in prayer is that they would be grounded in the knowledge of God. Grounded in the knowledge of God. He says it in a variety of ways. Filled with the knowledge of his will, wisdom, understanding, growing in the knowledge of God. As excited as Paul is for this church, his concern is that if they aren't deeply rooted in the knowledge of God, if they aren't drawing on his wisdom in their everyday lives, if they aren't increasing in their understanding of his character and will and ways, they will never reach their potential as Christians or as a church. They will never thrive. Now, I did a little research as I was working on this uh, series and I found a, a term, a diagnosis that physicians use sometimes that I found both enlightening and disturbing. And the diagnosis is called failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. It's a term that pediatricians use most of the time, most often. And they use it to describe an infant or a child that is not growing properly, not gaining weight, not increasing in length and height, not, not, not getting stronger. They seem to be growing too slowly or not at all or perhaps even losing weight. Their skin tone, their, uh, their, their muscle mask, their activity energy levels just aren't what they're supposed to be. They're failing to thrive. And the problem almost always is that they're not getting enough nutrition. Now sometimes the reasons for that have to do with the child, him or herself. Maybe they have internal physiological problems. They can't absorb or process the nutrients they're receiving. Most often, it's a problem with the inflow, that they're not getting a balanced diet. They're not, they don't have consistent feeding habits. And so they're not getting the nutrition they need. And so they can't thrive. Failure to thrive. I mean, as disturbing as that diagnosis is, 
What can happen to children physically can happen to believers spiritually. They don't grow. They don't gain strength. They don't look more and more like Jesus Christ. Their activity levels aren't what they ought to be. There's no service. There's no giving. There's no sharing. There's, there's, there's no loving and witness. They're not thriving. And the problem almost always is a lack of proper nutrition. Spiritually speaking, they're not, they're not being nourished by God's word. They're not feeding off the truth about God and his will and his ways. They're not engaged with scripture. Now, I want us to notice something about this knowledge that we're talking about, this knowledge of God. It's not just head knowledge, not just facts, it's not just information, it's not just Wikipedia kind of knowledge. In fact, there were two different words Paul could have used here to describe knowledge. One is a head, head knowledge kind of understanding, facts, information. The other is more personal, practical, experiential, everyday kind of knowledge. It's putting what you know into practice. And that's what he's talking about. You might think of it this way. Imagine that you need surgery. And on the day of your surgery, you meet your surgeon and he introduces himself. And he tells you that uh, he, he went to one of the finest medical schools in the country. That he graduated at the top of his class. That his specialty is the very surgery he's about to perform on you. And you say, oh great, I feel a lot better about that. How many of these surgeries have you performed? And he says, you'll be my first one. <laughs> now, is that the kind of knowledge you want from your surgeon? That's not the knowledge that Paul is talking about. He's talking about knowledge that actually shows itself in the way we live, that gets absorbed and turns into action. That's the nutrition believers need if we're going to thrive. So on this Vision Sunday, as we set our sights on a, on a new year individually and collectively, I want to encourage us this year to become rooted, grounded in the knowledge of God. In the same way that a tree sends its roots down deep into the soil to draw nutrition so that it can grow and produce branches and bear fruit. In the same way, let us this year put our roots down deep into the truth and knowledge about God. That's how we thrive. And here at Grace, we have two primary ways we encourage people to grow in their knowledge of God. Weekly worship and engaging with Scripture. Weekly worship and engaging with Scripture. Weekly worship is one of the primary ways to grow in your knowledge of God, to go deeper in your faith. It's not just about hearing the sermon. It's about the whole experience of worship. It's about the music and the reflection and the prayer and the silence and the giving and even the handshakes back and forth in the service and, and as you leave. Something powerful happens when God's people come together in a set-aside time and place and open his word and invite his spirit and open their hearts. Something happens in those moments. Weekly worship. It's something life-giving. And so can I encourage you at the beginning of this new year that you make weekly worship one of your top priorities for you and for those you love. Now, I know Sunday is no longer the day of rest and worship it used to be in our culture. 
I know all about kids' sports and, and, uh, and weekend travel and the only day to do your household chores. I know you can watch the sermon online at Comfort at Home or later on in the week, and that's helpful sometimes. But there is there's something powerful that happens when you're in the room with God's people, with his word, voices raised. Something powerful happens in that moment. You can't get it online. So I can encourage you to, to be in the room week by week by week. And can I add that it's important not only for adults, but for kids too. Can I encourage you to make sure that your children, your teenagers, worship with you and with all of us or the folks on your campus? I know, that's going to mean two hours on a Sunday. But it's important. It's powerful. Study after study has revealed that, that kids who go to Sunday school and youth group but rarely worship with the larger church family are far less likely to attend church on their own once they leave home because they've not made a connection to the larger church. So can I encourage you this year to make sure you and those you love are worshiping re- weekly. And the weekly thing is important. You can't thrive if you skip every other meal. You can skip one in a while, once in a while, but if you skip every other meal, you're not going to thrive. And you can't thrive spiritually by making the church once or twice a month. You just can't do it. So weekly worship. The second source of spiritual nutrition, of course, is engaging with God's Word. So here at Grace... We try to provide all kinds of ways for you to engage with Scripture. And we take that responsibility very, very seriously. Pastor Ruthie and her next-gen team have just recently completed a redesign of an entire scope and sequence of learning for our children from cradle to college. Covers all the major books of the Bible, covers all the major doctrines of the faith, covers all the milestones of spiritual growth, um, first Bible, communion, baptism, church membership, service and volunteerism, all those things. And it's not just head knowledge they're talking about, packing them full of Bible stories and facts. They talk about all the challenges of life, sexuality and marriage and ethics and social justice and, and all the challenges of contemporary life. But it's not just kids who need that kind of grounding in God's word. Adults need it as well. And so we're committed to providing that kind of opportunity for, for folks at every age and stage of life. Women's Bible studies and ministries are just about to begin again for a new season on, on just about all of our campuses, different days and times of the week. There's a men's breakfast happening on October 1st for men from all of our campuses. It'll be held here in Lexington on Saturday, October 1st. We have new courses for adults starting, and again, on most of our campuses, Alpha, Plugin, and a variety of others. And of course, one of the best ways to get this practical, experiential kind of knowledge we're talking about is to join a life community to sit with a bunch of people instead of just listening to someone talk for 30 minutes, you get to talk and ask questions and wrestle with the scripture. We'll have Life Connection Sunday in just a couple of weeks. We have a community of young adults who gather for that particular season of life, for, for community and study and prayer and life together. We call it FIRE. And this year, we're introducing a new learning, living community as well for <clears throat> seasoned adults. 
We're calling it epic. <laughs> For those of us who want to thrive in the second half of our lives, it'll kick off on September 30th. All this to say, there is no reason for anyone at Grace Chapel to fail to thrive this year for lack of nutrition. Will you right now today think about your commitment to weekly worship and how and when and where you will engage with God's word this year? I'm thinking of that father and daughter who are standing here their deep desire for a good, meaningful year. One of the best things that father-daughter can do is to come to church together, to worship together, to grow and serve together, and begin to thrive. I know it sounds like we're done here, but there's one more thing that Paul wants to mention here. One more thing I want to call to our attention about thriving. And it's important because I'm afraid too many Christians and churches miss it. Let's look one more time at Paul's words to the church, verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. I want you to hear his emphasis on living a life, on bearing fruit, on doing good work. You see, there was a problem in the Colossian church. They'd become enamored with knowledge for knowledge's sake. It was kind of a trend in their wider culture, this intellectual elitism. People claimed to have deeper knowledge, higher knowledge, secret knowledge of how things worked in the universe. It was an environment intellectually not unlike Greater Boston with all of our universities and institutions of higher learning, kind of a hyper-intellectual environment. And that kind of thinking had crept into the church. And so people were beginning to equate Bible knowledge with spiritual maturity. That if they had all their facts and their doctrines and their dates and their characters right, then they would be honoring and pleasing God. But Paul says it's not just about filling your head with knowledge. It's about what you do with that knowledge. It's about bearing fruit. It's about doing good. And there's some churches, some Christians who feel like as long as I have lots of Bible studies, as long as I fill my, my journal with notes, I'll be thriving spiritually. But that misses the point. The point is to is to it's not just learn, but to live. Not just to be rooted and growing, but to bear fruit. Imagine one Saturday morning, maybe a month or so from now. It's a cool, crisp October morning. The leaves are beginning to change. Brisk, chill in the air. And you and your family, your friends, pile into the car for one of those venerable New England traditions, apple picking. You drive west 20 minutes or so to your favorite orchard. You pile out of the car. You grab your baskets. And you begin walking into the rows of trees where you discover to your surprise and disappointment that there are no apples on any of the trees. You find someone who works there and you ask, what happened? Have, have all the apples been picked already? And she says, oh, no, no, no. The, the apples, you know, they're such a bother. I mean, you have to pay extra attention to the trees and you got to worry about the insects and sometimes they don't get ripe enough and sometimes they get too ripe and they fall off and they make a mess of things and they just clutter things up. So, so these trees are specially cultivated not to produce apples. <laughs> Aren't they beautiful? <laughs> you say, well, well yeah, they, 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 they're, they're beautiful, all right, but, but we came for apples. Why are you so obsessed about the apples? She says, look at the roots on this tree. I mean, look at the branches. Can't you just admire that? 
And you say, yeah, but I want apple crisp. <laughs> you can't eat leaves and branches and roots. Now, I thought that was a ridiculous scenario that it couldn't happen, botanically speaking, but someone told me outside, yes, there's such a thing as ornamental apple trees that don't produce fruit. So there you go. <laughs> apple trees that don't produce apples are a big disappointment. And so are Christians who don't bear fruit. So are churches that don't have an impact. So please understand, this is not a year for us to hunker down with our Bibles and shut the rest of the world out while we learn our doctrine. Now, it's great to hunker down with your Bible, but you do that so you can head, go charging out the door in the morning to go share what you're learning with the rest of the world. It's not just about being rooted and growing. It's about bearing fruit. That means doing good work in the world and seeing more and more people come to faith in Christ. Now, for the past several months, our elders and our pastoral staff have been working on a new strategic plan for the church. We do this every handful of years, try to look out three or five years and discern where's God leading and how will we get there. We're just about done with that process and we'll be sharing it with you over the course of the fall. But one of our first steps in that process was to refresh our mission statement, a simple statement of who we are and what we're all about. Now, we've been using a mission statement for the past 10 or 12 years or so. I know you all know it by heart. Transforming lives with a surprising message of God's grace. It's a bit of a mouthful. It's a little bit insider kind of language. So it served us well, but we felt as though it was time to refresh and come up with something a little simpler, a little more accessible to people. And so this is what we've landed on. I want to share it with you. Here at Grace Chapel, we are all about discovering life with God for the good of the world. Discovering life with God for the good of the world. We like the discovering word because it means we're all in this together. Skeptics, seekers, new believers, longtime believers, leaders, we're all about discovering. There's always more to discover. Life with God is just a simple way of talking about personal faith and relationship with God. It's not about creating some institution, not about promoting some religious tradition. It's about helping people live the lives we want to live and we're meant to live. But we're not doing it just for our own sake so we can all have happy lives. We're doing it for the sake of the world around us, for a world that desperately needs this kind of abundant, satisfying, thriving life. We want to be a force for good in the world. We want people to know that we are for them. And so that's our fresh mission statement. We'll be telling you more about it as the week unfolds. But I want you to get it today so you understand that growing deeper is not just about us having a nice club where we all know our Bibles and our doctrine and get it straight. It's about actually living this life and sharing it with the world around us. We want to see more people and more communities coming to faith. We want to see more people coming to faith, more believers mobilized, more communities served, more cities touched, more needs met. We'd like to see more. And in keeping with that vision, I'm excited to announce that after a year of prayer and thoughtful deliberation and research, the elders voted unanimously this summer to go ahead with the launch of a Foxborough campus of Grace Chapel. So we are very excited about that. As most of you know, the Foxborough Bible Church, a year or so ago, very graciously and courageously gifted us with their expansive facility there in Foxborough. And they've actually been worshiping and learning with us there as they receive our broadcast from week to week. So shout out to the Foxborough folks. 
And we have found, after doing some research and prayer, that we have a good contingent of folks who live down that way and that there's a lack, there's a need for a thriving gospel-preaching church in that part of greater Boston. So Lord willing, over the course of the next year or so, maybe spring, maybe fall, we'll be launching a new campus down in the Foxborough area. If you should be interested, you can contact Pastor Richard through our website and uh, let him know of your interest. Well, there's obviously a lot more we could talk about, both in terms of our vision for the year and also this wonderful book of Colossians, but we'll stop here for now. I would like to point out as we close that this passage we've been considering this morning is actually a prayer. It's a pastor's prayer. A prayer from the heart of a shepherd for a flock that he cares about. And as Paul prays for this flock in Colossae, he first of all gives thanks for all the good things that are happening there in the life of that community. But he doesn't stop there. He's bold enough to ask God and them to do more, to be more, to thrive for their sake and for the sake of the world around them and for the glory of God. And as this pastor looks back on 16 years of ministry together as a church, I have so much that I'm thankful for. Just an amazement at what God has done in and through and among and around and sometimes in spite of us. We are a blessed church. And we are stewards of this goodness for the time that we are all here together. I'm thankful for that. But along with the Apostle Paul, I would dare to ask God and you for more. More people, more impact, more growth, more depth, more beauty, more love, more spirit, more of all the good things that God wants to do in and through us. Let's, let's thrive. And it begins as we become grounded in the knowledge of God, rooted, growing, and bearing fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we offer you this new day, this new season, this new year with gratitude for all that you've done, the wonder of being part of this community of faith, but asking that you might stir our hearts, that we might seek and avail ourselves of all that you have to do in and through us in the days to come. So show us the way, fill us with your spirit, raise up the the leaders and the servants and the volunteers and the funds that we need to do all that you would put on our hearts to do. Lord, bring to us all the people and send us to all the people whose hearts are ready to receive and share this good news. We pray, Lord, that we might ground, be grounded this year in the knowledge of God for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of the world. Amen.